0: This morning, we found Paul uh, giving a testimony to the crowds. Uh, we also saw that while they listened, at least attentively for a while, their final response was not one that was uh, very welcoming of his words. And yet, Paul handled himself in a, a very biblical fashion. Uh, he handled himself in a very... Um, gentle fashion, really, as far as uh, being kind and considerate to the crowds and how he was handling anything. He was not demeaning of them. Uh, he, he did not uh, talk down to them. He simply delivered the truth. And I want to focus on just a sort of a portion of what we were looking at this morning, but carry the thought just a little bit further. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 17. And I want to read through verse 24 this evening. It says, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him standing unto me and saw him saying unto me, rather, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, They know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue, them that believed on thee. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. For it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whereof they cried so against him. Well, the, the setting here is about three years have gone by since Paul has... Uh, been saved since his conversion he's in Jerusalem for about 15 days uh, we know that according to Galatians 1 and it is at this point in his life that Christ commissions Paul as a missionary more exclusively to the Gentiles we see that in verse 21 and you remember up to this point Paul has been going everywhere he went first and foremost uh, to what location as he entered a town if they had one he would go to the what he'd go to the synagogue the place where the jewish people were. Uh and and of course there was a wisdom in that tactic because there was at least an understanding of scripture uh, he often met with great resistance by most But in many cases, there were those that were hungry for the truth and would therefore respond to what he would have to say as he gave further understanding about where things were going in God's working. But how fitting that this commission came to Paul while he prayed in the temple. That's what he's doing in verse 17, where we began tonight. And since, why is that? Well, If you remember Isaiah 56, verse 7, God had said, Mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Uh, Not just his people, but for all people. Uh, And again, they had a court of Gentiles. There was regions, there was sections of the temple where uh, Gentiles were welcome to come. But we know that in Christ... There is no differentiation of any kind when it comes to nationalities, between ethnicities. Uh, we're all one in Christ under his truth. What a blessing that is. And, and, and there really is a sweet communion with people when you know you're a brother in Christ. I'm thankful over the years I've, I've gotten to have a sweet communion with, uh, with brothers that have different skin color than mine and honestly you know it it becomes something that is just uh glossed over which is i think what god wants us to do uh to just focus purely upon uh our 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 unified part of truth in jesus christ that we're bonds our bond is in jesus christ and that's what our worship is going to be about i think our minds go back to the woman of Samaria, the woman of Cana. And there was that sectarianism where she was surprised. And interesting, usually the Samaritans were the ones that were cast off. They're the ones that we would say were discriminated against. But she had a mindset of, of separation, and she's the one that brings it up um, as far as the differences. You know, she's, first of all, surprised, you know, you're talking to me. Of course, culturally, she had been probably scorned and set aside by Jewish people. But then she brings up the the differentiation of how and location of where to worship. And Jesus gives her that wonderful statement. You know, the day is coming when it's not going to matter this mountain or that mountain. Uh, but they that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're there now. Truthfully, God's always wanted that to be the basis of worship. Uh, It's not just a futuristic thing, but location truly is not the important thing. Uh, God doesn't want us to be divided uh, as as a people aside from being unified in the truth. Once the Jews believed that Paul had uh, desecrated the temple by bringing Gentiles into the court of the Jews. And we saw in verse 31, they were, they were ready to kill him in the last chapter. The Roman captain, just a quick review, intervened, the mob beating, and, and uh, rescued Paul, took him, and put him in the, the fortress of Antonio, there in verses 32 to 34 of chapter 21. Paul, as we looked at this morning, convinced the captain that he was not the insurrectionist that he thought that he was and asked, you know, will you let me address the crowd? Will you let me speak to them? And there's Paul. And we can, in our mind's eye, picture Paul holding up his hand and and getting the cooperation, at least initially, as he speaks in Hebrew, uh, sign of respect, uh, as he did so to the people and uh, could have spoken a different language but uh, he spoke in a tongue that was honoring to them when he gets to the point where he explains that the lord jesus commissions him to carry the gospel to the gentiles that's when we see the crowd really reacting in an explosive way verse 22 and what he's saying is the truth and i'm not sure that that paul was surprised at what he says or at the response of the crowd by what he said but sometimes we find ourselves like was it something that we said and maybe you and I have found ourselves in that same position where we're sharing something about Jesus Christ we're sharing our testimony as I went through this morning and just loving talking about our Lord talking about our walk in faith And we'll get this response. It might not be as explosive as the crowd was to Paul. It could be a sense where all of a sudden you feel like cold water was put on the conversation. There's a change in tone. It's noticeable. Uh, There's definitely a chill in the air, if you would put it that way. And you're thinking, you know, was it something that I said? And the answer is yes. It is something that we said. And Paul gives us a wonderful example of of not being apologetic for the truth that we offer up. This should really not come as a surprise to Paul. and We have no reason to believe that he was surprised at what happens here. There's no indications that he was surprised. But Jesus had told uh, in the temple, Paul himself in this trance, verse 18, they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. In other words, Paul, be prepared. You're, you're going to share things, you're going to say things, and they're not going to accept it. And, and we need to take a lesson from this, not to say, okay, well, if there's going to be people that are going to push me aside and not want to have interest in what I'm going to say, then why bother? And the answer is, number one, because the Lord commands us to share the gospel with people. Number two, we don't know who's going to respond how. And again, it goes back to the illustration of the parable of the sower who is casting what seems to be indiscriminately seed in all different directions and knowing it falls on different grounds. The grounds, our Lord tells us, represents the hearts of men. And it responds differently. But nowhere was there a teaching of make sure you only cast seed in the ground where you know for sure it's going to bring forth fruit. Cast the seed everywhere. There is a sense where the lost who reject Christ will have an accountability, and God wants them to hear the gospel so that there will be an, uh, an accurate and fair judgment upon them someday as well. Paul also tells the people that Jesus told him to expect this. Get this in mind, this isn't just something that Jesus tells Paul. Jesus is talking to the crowds as he says this. Let's remember that. So as Paul's telling the people that Jesus tells him to expect that they are going to respond this way. And what does that do? Well, that stokes the flames of their indignation anymore. You know, in other words, oh, you know, that's what you think, you know, of us. Well, I'm just telling you what the Lord told me. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. God gave him truth in the form of dreams. He excitedly shared it with his brothers. It was God's truth. Did they respond positively or negatively to him? Very negatively. He he could have thought, you know, was it something I said? Well, yes. Because that particular truth put him in a better light than them. Even when he interpreted the next dream, which also included his father and mother, his father got a little upset with him by what he was saying. But again, Joseph was simply being a bearer of the truth. People will get upset as we do that, no matter how cordial we try to be. Paul could easily have reasoned that he was best suited to reach these Jews in Jerusalem. I mean, he's he's Jewish himself. Uh, He had been headquartered there as a Pharisee for a period of time. And after all, he was just like them at one point before he got saved. He even sanctioned the martyrdom of Stephen. We know that from verse 20. And while it seems reasonable that he might be the best choice, he also angers them when uh, he tells them about going to the Gentiles. He's now holding to the message that was preached by the very man he executed. Think about that. He was responsible for Stephen's death, his martyrdom, and and Paul was consenting unto the death of Stephen in doing that. He was saying, yes, I put my stamp of approval on what's happening here. Now Paul's doing exactly what Stephen was doing. What a change the Lord has brought in his life. You would think that as he shares that he might be thinking what would possibly be my motive in in doing what i'm doing if i'm now following the example of a man i i once wanted to see eliminated from the face of the earth won't you please believe what i'm saying here you could certainly see that that might be an a very impactful point to make to the crowd. The message must be right for such a change to take place. Now, Have you shared your testimony perhaps with a family member and saying, don't you remember what I used to be like? Don't you remember when we were kids? Can't you tell I'm not the same person I once was? And as you go in to have this conversation and share the gospel with them through your personal testimony, you think, how can they argue against the change that they've obviously seen in me and yet people still remain unpersuaded there were many other witnesses for christ in jerusalem god was now sending paul to untilled areas places that the gospel had not been given paul writes in romans 15 20 i strived in other words i i set as a goal to preach the gospel not where christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. In other words, send me to the places where no one's ever heard about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that he's the one true Messiah. Matthew Henry said on this, So often does providence contrive better for us than we for ourselves. To the guidance of that we must therefore refer ourselves. We shall choose, or he, being providence, shall choose our inheritance for us. I love how Matthew Henry put that. We like to pick our paths in life. Sometimes we think, I know how God's going to use me. I know what God can can do through me. And maybe Paul may have had some thoughts initially along those lines. And yet God takes him down a very different path. Would Paul have perhaps been challenged to think, Lord, what are you doing? Sending me to Gentiles. I am, I am best suited to reach my fellow countrymen, other Jewish people. I mean, I know Judaism inside out. After all, I've been schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, whose resume are you looking at here, Lord? I mean, can't you send someone else? Why not send Titus to the Gentiles? He knows how they tick better than i do oh we need to be careful about thinking that we might know better god's path than than he does himself and so i've seen it often in my life Uh, i remember as becky and i were uh, courting and uh, engaged and going through those stages and you know talking about where the lord has what he has in store for us and at those that point in our life We really thought the Lord was going to put us in an itinerant lifestyle, Uh, evangelism, uh, working with children as a youth evangelist. And I had a background traveling uh, for the university. I knew what it was like. I traveled with neighborhood Bible time, worked with children in that capacity. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, what better thing could you do than to Put us on the road, you know. We've we've got this resume. She's a a preacher, the daughter of a preacher. She's grown up seeing church planting. We can be such an encouragement. If you told me at that time, eventually, Carl Wood, I'm going to send you to be part of a church planting work in Myrtle Beach area, South Carolina. I thought, Lord, there's so many other people that you ought to send instead of me. And you confess, I probably still feel a little bit like that. But God and His providence had a different plan. I still don't understand it all completely, but I yield to it. I understand this is exactly where God wants us. Thankful God has led us here. At present, can't think of any place I'd rather be. But you know, that's how God's providence works. We have to be careful about anticipating and then uh, putting a sense of expectation upon what we anticipate in our lives i think about abraham in the old testament the patriarch think of how much better abraham's location was as far as the choosing of land uh, compared to lot his nephew who chose first you know assessed and thank oh that's a great piece of property it'll be good for the crops it'll be good for the herds Lot was first drawn to the depravity of Sodom. You know, what was, if we just talk about Lot's concern, he was concerned about what? His net worth. Well, fast forward. What was Lot's net worth at the moment that he is fleeing away from Sodom and Gomorrah? He didn't walk away with any property, any possessions. He escaped with probably just the clothes on his back. Minus a wife. And the children that he left with, their hearts were still back in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what life he had with them was one of sorrow and great disappointment. What did Abraham do? He left it into God's providence. And God blessed Abraham. Isn't there a lesson for us in all of that? You know, trust God in his providence for the divine appointments that he's going to put in us might be a neighbor that he moves in next to you and you might be thinking huh, i'm not sure how much i have in common with them you know i hear what their background was and so forth like that and immediately you might begin thinking you know oh he's got a background in engineering i need to connect him up with brother don Or, oh, they have a a banking background. Need to introduce them to Brother Mike. Well, that might be a good thing to do as well. But don't discount the fact that God put them next door to you. And God has a way of using you. We don't have to have all things in common. And we don't often think the way God thinks in that way. But let's be surrendered to be the mouthpiece for the Lord that he wants us to be. Keep in mind that Christ was laying the call upon Paul's life. He says, I will send thee. How often the Lord will lead us in a path altogether different than where we might anticipate. It would not seem so surprising if Paul were going in a direction that he knew to be opposed to the heart of God. In other words, sometimes we like, well, I would really like to do this, even though I know in the Bible gives me direction that i shouldn't do this or the spirit of god is really impressed upon me that i i i ought not go this way but i want to go this way anyway example of what i'm talking about jonah right there's a classic example god had said arise and go to nineveh okay lord i'm headed to tarsus (laughs) you know got the wrong way went down to joppa and headed the wrong direction he knew And it'd be easy for us to say, well, I'm not like Jonah. You know, God hasn't, you know, clearly told me, go this way, and I've gone completely the opposite direction. Paul was burdened to do the bidding of Christ. This was his experience, if we remember back in Acts 16, before he goes over into Europe, in Acts 16, where we would... He would have gone into Bithynia, that region that's headed back more easterly from where he was at the moment that he has this vision. But then he has that vision. And what does God direct him to do? Come over into Macedonia, the complete opposite direction. Praise God that he was open to the direction the Lord had for him to go. What what would have happened with Lydia? What would have happened with the Philippian jailer? And on we could go with the other incidences there. we could argue, well, God would have raised their salvation from another source. But Paul would have missed out on the blessing of being the instrument in God's hands. Matthew Henry says this. Now, if they, the Jews, would lay all this together, surely they would see that they had no reason to be angry with Paul for preaching among the Gentiles. Or to construe it as an act of ill will to his own nation, for he was compelled to it, contrary to his own mind, by an overruling command from heaven. And we've heard people say sometimes, you know, It's not in me to do this. It definitely had to be the Lord, because that wouldn't that wasn't my bent. Well, that would describe Paul here. And so you would think that as Paul gives this testimony, you would think, hey, That's not Paul's bent. It must be the Lord. Hey, we need to pay attention to what he's saying because he's someone that's yielded to God in his life. And he's he's going against his own natural bent by going to the Gentiles in this way. It is at this point that the crowd erupts. If they did not accept the gospel and had such a problem with Paul, you would think that they would have been happy to hear uh that he was going to the gentiles yeah good riddance right so why such a sudden outburst well it's not that they don't believe the gospel but that they rather don't accept it it's not that they don't understand it but they say not for me there are certain things that satan knows in fact satan's quite literate when it comes to biblical information probably better than many of us as far as his grasp of what the scripture has to say satan knows that jesus is god you'll you'll meet human beings that won't accept that jesus is divine the second person of the godhead that there is a trinity you meet human beings of that, that way satan knows that to be true he wants to Conceal that to everybody else, but he knows it to be so. And it's precisely for this reason that the demons find Christ so offensive. If Jesus wasn't who he says he is, then they wouldn't be so bothered by him, right? This is why the man possessed with a demon leaped on the seven sons of Sceva in, in chapter 19, verse 13. When they said, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And, and I remind myself this, and I'll remind you of this, is that when we give the truth and we get a disruptive response, let's not walk away saying, well, I must have done something wrong. Perhaps you did it exactly right because you gave such clarity about the gospel that those that are opposed to the gospel knew to oppose the gospel. But those whom God is drawing in their hearts have the clarity to respond to the gospel and coming to the gospel. They might have convinced themselves that they were doing it on the basis of biblical purity. And people like to give themselves positive reasons. The Jewish people may have thought, hey, you know what Paul's doing. You know, he's disrupting our religion. We're holding for biblical purity. But God had stipulated how his worship was to be conducted, and it appeared to be violated, but as we already talked about, this was not the case. This could have been easily learned if the Jewish people had just investigated a little bit more, if they had just asked Paul, You know, did you in fact bring a Gentile into the region that only the Jews belong in the temple? And often people will avoid looking into things further why? Because they don't want to discover that their ideas are wrong. They don't want to be proven that something else is true beside what they're already believing. They likely felt that their exclusivity and specialness was being demeaned. You know, we're the children of promise. And Paul, what you're doing is going to minimize our specialness, our exclusivity. It was no doubt difficult for those who had enjoyed a place of God's chosen people to now be informed that God was opening up the family. Well, wonder if you think about it, even in the Old Testament, we saw Gentiles being proselytized, welcomed into the Jewish faith. Classic example, Ruth, for example. Rahab the harlot. Other examples, Uh, many not only are welcomed into the jewish faith but end up in the lineage of our lord what a blessing to be part of the foster family of the lord this might be a similar struggle to an only child with the knowledge that they are soon to be a A foster family, someone else is coming in. What do you you mean, Mom and Dad? We're going to have other kids staying here? i got to share my bedroom? Sometimes people in religion can can feel that way. We ought to say, praise the Lord. Bring another brother in Christ. Bring in another sister in Christ. Uh, There's not only plenty of room at Anchor Baptist Church, there's plenty of room at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The more, the merrier. We should remember that Christ received a similar reaction from this same group of Jewish people in Luke 23, 18. It says that the crowd cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. You know, Paul's in good company. He's being treated just as Jesus Christ was. The surprise would be more if we never encountered hostile reactions from those in the world because Christ actually told us to expect that kind of hostility. You know, if we're going through life and we're preaching and teaching and sharing and we're not, quote, rubbing anybody the wrong way, we ought to stop and say, maybe I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I like what it says in John fifteen, eighteen, and 19. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. He, he gives it both ways. Christians following the truth, don't be dismayed. If the world system and the people that love this world system, love the sinfulness of this world, have an aversion for you, that's actually a good sign. But on the other side if we see people that are proclaiming themselves to be followers of god and yet they're in a uh, strong companionship and there doesn't seem to be any abrasiveness in their lives and the lives of people that don't love the lord and are trying to hold on to the world there's a problem there somewhere according to what jesus is saying there In John 15, 24, the second part of the verse, he says, Now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the world might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Think about why did they have such despite for Jesus Christ? He came in love. The world proclaims hey, we need to love, we need to be accepting. They're not very loving and accepting of the truth, of Jesus, of Christians that proclaim the truth. Many years ago, while on a visit to America, there was a wealthy Chinese businessman who was fascinated by a very powerful microscope looking through its lens to study crystals and the petals of flowers. He was amazed at their beauty and their detail, things that he was able to appreciate, the textures of these things through the lens he had never been able to see before. So, having money, he decided to purchase one of these devices and take it back to China. He thoroughly enjoyed using it until one day he examined some rice he was planning to eat for dinner. Much to his dismay, he discovered that tiny living creatures were crawling on the grain of rice. And since he was especially fond of this staple food in his daily diet, he wondered what to do. Finally, he concluded there was only one way out of this dilemma. He would destroy the instrument that caused him to discover this distasteful fact. Say, that's pretty absurd because getting rid of that which allows you to see what's going on there doesn't change the presence of it but do you see the analogy the world wants to do away with christians who help the world to see with greater vision the sin problem in the heart how do we deal with this you're making me uncomfortable about the way i'm living so i'm going to do away with you But the sin problem remains. There ought to be an appreciation. Thank you for showing me this. Thank you for letting me know this. Many people do the very same thing with the Word of God. Yeah, I read the Bible, but it made me very uncomfortable. They hate it, and they would like to get rid of it. Why? Because it reveals their fallen nature. Thank God. Thank Him for allowing the truth to come to you to be shown the problem that exists. And so, like Paul, from time to time, we may say things that generate a reaction. And in our mind, we may be thinking, was it something that I said? And as we analyze our words, we think, well, I was just sharing them the gospel. I was just sharing with them the truth. I was just pointing them to Jesus. Was it something you said? Yes. But it didn't disturb the person so much because you said it, but because God said it. Let's not deviate from the truth, from the remedy that people need, even if it's not only underappreciated, but scorned and trying to be eliminated, trying to be deluded. Let's hold to the truth and let's ask God for his grace To give us the courage to do so. Father in heaven. Thank you for your word. Lord as we look at the life of Paul. We see the courage in this man. To speak the truth. To be unapologetic about it. Lord to not be. Overly. Rough. Uncaring. Really to show a spirit of true compassion. By what he does here. And no we don't see the the outcome that we would like to write into it. We would love to write into this story that there was this massive revival that breaks out among the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem at this time. But Lord, just because the way we anticipate things not coming about, Lord, may it not cause us to rethink or to change our direction and our approach. Lord, help us to understand this is what's going to happen. But Lord, as long as we are sharing the truth, we're led by your Spirit. We know that we're doing your bidding. Give us the strength and courage to continue so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.